Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. You have your Bibles. I want to encourage you to grab them and find your way to the book of Romans in the New Testament. Romans chapter 11 is where we're going to start today as we kick off a, a new series for the month of May called Missions Focus 2022. Each year, the month of May is kind of set aside from our normal preaching series, our normal preaching schedule to bring all of our attention collectively to focus on missions. It's been now uh, well over a decade that our church had a vision that our church would be missional, that we would not just be a place committed to faithfully opening up God's Word every Sunday and preaching God's Word, raising up disciples who know God's Word so they can follow God and serve God with their lives, but to also be a church then who has people who grow up and go out and fulfill what Christ has called his followers to do, which is to tell other people who are far from Jesus, who are lost in their darkness and sin, about the good news of Jesus Christ. And and, and many of you in this room, as I look around this morning, I know have, have taken that call seriously, that you found yourself not just being a Christian who is content with just knowing God themselves, but wanting other people to know. God has expanded your heart for missions. And so many of our church, uh, regular attenders, I know have been on short-term mission trips, international mission trips, multiple missions trips. But our church is growing. Our, Our church is growing through not just the work that we're doing out in the community, but what that work when we're on the mission field what that work does in our hearts, and it brings us back home, and it causes us to be uh, more friendly and more evangelistic to our neighbors. And some of you are here this morning because someone that you know from either work or living next door said, hey, you should come try out our church, and we welcome you this morning. And so we believe that that, that, that missional heart has been developed through an intentional focus on missions. And so each of the next Sundays through the month of May, we're going to stop and we're going to look at different partners that we have. Uh, the Salem Heights Today announcement shared that next week is Compassion Sunday. And we're going to have uh, the Compassion Table with an opportunity for, for those who are led by the Spirit of God to possibly adopt a child from some other part in the world through be able to give to them so that they can have not only resources, but the opportunity to hear the gospel clearly. And I'm excited for you to hear from Sean, a, an ambassador for Compassion International, come and share about what God's been doing, even through a global pandemic, for Compassion International to continue to reach into those, those third world countries and be able to continue to meet those needs, both uh, their physical needs, but more importantly, their spiritual needs. And we'll have the ongoing weeks, we'll begin to kind of focus on that. But there's been something stirring in my heart this morning, and I come to you this morning as a man who has been wrestling with God. The things that I want to share this morning, I want to do it concisely, I want to do it simply, but I've just been praying that God would get out of, help me get out of the way and, and help him to speak so clearly through me that your affections for him are stirred in a way where you can't help but worship and respond to him. I was thinking about a a book that I read that was uh, written to preachers, encouraging them on how to preach. And the the whole premise of the book was this, why do we gather together every week on Sundays? The reason? Because God has spoken. He has something to say to us this morning. 
and the work of the preacher is to get out of the way and just be his mouthpiece, and that's been my prayer this morning. But several weeks ago, we had uh, presented a vision to you. Pastor Justin presented a vision for our church in light of the fact that in about five years, our church will be 75 years old. And instead of gathering people together to celebrate the fact that we have existed for 75 years, the heart of our pastor and our elder team has been, why don't we give gifts to our community? And so we presented to you a vision that in five years, we are praying that God would would build us up as a church, would equip us with the people and the resources and the materials to give three specific gifts to our community. Three gifts that are basically an expansion of three lanes of ministry that God has already called our church to be a part. That in five years that we could have a location that would be able to house three specific areas of ministry. One would be an increased biblical counseling ministry where our community at large would have the ability to get biblical counseling for free, that it would be accessible Another thing that we're hoping to do, another gift we want to give the city is, is, is ministry and solutions that offer real answers to the homelessness and the addictions issues that plague not just Salem, but our world. And the third gift we'd love to give is be a place where we could come alongside other churches, other pastors, other church plants, and just be a support to them. Not as the experts, not as the ones that have figured it all out, but just to come alongside and say, what has God put in your heart to reach that people that he's entrusted to you, that flock that you're shepherding, and what do you need right now? And is there any way that we possibly could support that? That's the vision, that we can give those three gifts housed in a place together where we're training and equipping and sending out and giving those gifts to our city. But the challenge was this, that before we build something, before we expand something, we as a church need to be something. We must be something before we build something. 29,031.7 feet. 29,031.7 feet. That's the height of Mount Everest. Each year, approximately 750 people go through the painstaking process of trying to summit the highest mountain on planet Earth. It takes about two months to actually scale to its peak. You have to go slowly because you have to acclimate as you go up the mountain. Experts say that it will take you several years to prepare, that you will have to take many trips trekking up with heavy weight on your back up mountains not as high as Everest, but but higher than a lot of mountains that we have here in Oregon. They say that you can't just go prepare physically, you have to prepare emotionally and psychologically for what you're going to face, as it will be the most grueling thing you will ever face, going up to the peak of the highest mountain on planet Earth. And every year people attempt to do this, but it takes preparation, it takes planning. Most great accomplishments in life don't just happen. They require dedicated preparation and the help of someone who knows how to reach the summit. 
If you are a, a Salem hider, if you are a Salem height regular tender, if this is your church, my challenge this morning for us is this. Like hiking Everest, to accomplish this vision that we believe God has given our leadership for our church, in order to accomplish that vision will require preparation and guidance. The preparation for us will be spiritual. And the guidance must be from the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be something? I've been rolling around in this. Pastor Justin and I were talking about this. What what do we mean by we got to be something? Because there's a lot of different ways you can interpret that, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. What are you saying? We got to be something before we build something. Does that mean like try to be really prominent and be really successful and let people know how great we are as a church? No. No. To be means that we will have a church of people fully devoted to Jesus Christ. And we will allow him to do in our hearts and lives whatever is necessary to help us reach the spiritual maturity we need to accomplish this work. And so this morning, I just want to briefly look at a a passage of Scripture I believe the Lord brought to my mind as I was kind of thinking about kicking off missions focus and and thinking about this challenge and how we we actually see that missions at our church is actually a training ground that we can be prepared and to go accomplish the vision that God has for our church. And yet, what is it going to require for us? I just want to highlight two marks of maturity that I believe will be the indicator that we are all working towards being something so that we can build something and accomplish this vision that God has given for us. Last week, Tim presented to us the fact that there's a kind of a spectrum of of spiritual growth once we come to know Jesus. And he used the illustration of four chairs. And the goal is that each one of us takes that next step. We move over into the chair because ultimately God wants to equip us to go out and to make disciples. I believe that's the reason that Christ has left us here once we place our faith in the gospel. I believe it's the reason why we don't just say, Jesus, I believe in the gospel. I believe in my whole, I I pray that you would forgive my sins, that you would accept me in your family. He doesn't just take us to heaven. It's that he has left us here as followers of him to continue to be the mouthpiece by which he is drawing a people for his name. The proclamation of the gospel is to come through the church. And if we're going to be doing that, we have to be maturing. And so our text this morning is going to be Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through chapter 12, verse 2. Would you stand with me as we read our text this morning? And we consider what are the marks of maturity in a believer. If you're ready to hear from the Lord, say ready. This is his word. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him 
and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do you believe this is true? It is. You may be seated. If we are going to be something before we build something, that means that collectively, if you are a regular attender here at Salem Heights Church, we are asking you to prayerfully consider coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to be part of this local church, and you have called me here at this time to help bring to pass the vision you have for this church. I'm not going to just rely on the pastors or those who are on staff to fulfill that vision. You've called this church, this one flock, all its many members together to accomplish this. And although, Lord, I might not know what my role might be in that, I'm asking you to do whatever you need to do in my heart to be that thing that you need to be able to use and to accomplish your good purposes. And so we're asking you to consider, God, how do you want to continue to grow me in my spiritual maturity? How do you want to grow my devotion for you? How do you want to grow me and conform me into the likeness of your son? What is it, God, that you want to do without even maybe revealing what you're going to call me to participate in? Would you just call me to surrender my life to you and say, God, begin to form and shape me in a new way? That no matter what chair I'm sitting in, whether I've just come to faith or I've been trying to make disciples, God, that you would continue to grow me. Because until we get to heaven, do you understand that the process of him transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ is not finished? There's still growth for you. There's still opportunities for you to be transformed spiritually from the inside, which will impact how we act on the outside. And so I think there are two things that our text highlights that are markers of mature faith. And so we say here, maturing faith is fueled by awe and fortified through service. A maturing faith, not mature faith, because again, sometimes we say, I want to be mature in Christ. It's like, I want to get to that level and then I can stop. I can stop pursuing his guidance, stop pursuing that radical transformational work that only the Holy Spirit can do in my life. No, we are all called to be maturing. We're all called to be maturing. It's an ongoing, lifelong process until we are with Jesus in heaven. And so maturing faith will always have these two markers in it. A person who is maturing, a person who's not stagnant, who's not drifting away, who's not closing their eyes towards what the Spirit of God wants to do in their life, is going to have these two markers. One, they are going to have an awe for God. And the second thing that you're going to see in their life that they're not going to have to draw your attention to, it's just going to be who they are in response to that awe is they're going to have a life of living sacrifice. Not out of obligation, not because the church is twisting their arm or someone has guilted them into that. No, that's just their natural response to the awe that comes from them focusing on a great and mighty God. I love this definition of awe. I was looking uh, throughout different kind of books and dictionaries and, and, and people's ideas of what is awe. And I love this one. It said, an awe is an emotion when an individual is overwhelmed by greatness. 
The Bible is full of descriptions and pictures of God's awesomeness, his greatness. If you've read through the book of Romans before, if you've studied it, you are aware that chapters 9 through 11 are some of the more deeper waters theologically of the book of Romans. In fact, there has been much debate over many centuries on what these verses are actually teaching. But if I can pull out just one overarching view of what Romans 9 to 11 is trying to teach us, it is this, that all men are unrighteous before God. Both Jews who were his chosen people and Gentiles, they all had offended God by their sin. They had all rejected God. They had all said, I want to do it my own way. They were all in need of a savior. They were all in need of God's mercy, which is not giving them what they deserve, not punishing them for the sin and the rebellion and the rejection that existed in their lives. No, they needed a Savior who could mercifully hold back the wrath that they should have received and direct it to a qualified replacement, a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Paul is teaching these people in Rome about the Jewish people's need for a Savior and the Gentiles' need for a Savior, he stops at the very end of this kind of theological treaty, and he stops and just starts to praise God, starting in verse 33. Some of your Bibles who have uh, headings for the different sections that the translators have broken up your Bible translation into might say this is a doxology uh, or a hymn of praise. Why is that? Because Paul, after looking at God's mercy towards all mankind, understanding that they were all in need of the gospel and that Christ came sacrificially, died on a cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. And now the righteousness of God has been mercifully given to the unrighteous actions of a people that didn't deserve it. He says, oh, the depth of God's riches. There's so much here that he wants to highlight about God, but what happens is is as you begin to understand how far away your actions, your natural inclinations, and your natural desires have taken you away from a relationship with God, and how offensive your life has been before a holy and pure God, and then you begin to understand what he went through and what steps he took to provide a Savior for you, and to be able to not just say, here, I'm going to help you pay your debt, but then we're going to go our separate ways because we've offended each other enough. No, he says, no, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to bring you back close, and I'm going to show you my love, and I'm going to reveal to you why I created you, and you're going to have purpose and identity and calling in me. He begins to understand this, and Paul's only response is worship. Sometimes we talk about God in this like flat, on the paper, black and white, like here he is, very kind of concretely, very intellectually, theologically, and we just, we are not doing justice to his grandeur. And so Paul is trying to do that, oh, the depth of his riches. He has so many resources, he's never in need of anything from anyone. He's not limited by provision. His wisdom and knowledge are 
uh, unsearchable. His, the way that he does things are untraceable. You can't determine why or how or understand all the complexities. Even, even godly people for thousands of years have been trying to understand what he's put in his word, and, and, and we still are wrestling with it. But you know what? Who knows exactly what he meant? God. And he says, if you will continue to pursue me and seek me to try to understand my word, I will continue to make it known to you. I will help you understand these spiritual things. And so he starts to highlight all the things that should cause us to begin to go, wow, to be overwhelmed by the greatness of our God. How deep are his riches? How unreachable are his judgments? How untraceable are his way? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that, that God is now somewhere how in their debt? This is rhetoric. Paul is saying the obvious answer is nobody. And yet how many times in my life have I believed a lie that said God owes me? I did this for you, God. I'm, I'm giving this to you, God. So where is the return? He says, no. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 puts it like this. The heaven, indeed the highest heaven, belongs to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. You see, one of the marks of a maturing believer, someone who's saying, I want to be that thing that God can use for his glory, is someone who is constantly going to the Lord and just gazing upon who he is. There are many ways that we can take in the awe of God. I mean, aren't, are you thankful that God has created you with the capacity to recognize and to interpret and to understand even a little bit of God's greatness? Creation proclaims his greatness. His word reveals his greatness. His son manifested his greatness. There's plenty to take in. The problem is we have, we have things robbing us of that awe and trying to direct us to be in awe of something else. There was a German theologian named Rudolf Otto, and he described awe like this. He says, awe has both of these two components that are kind of intertangled. One is this sensation of trembling, which comes from a perspective of being in the presence of something overpowering. But the second is mystery, and this typically leads a person to fascination. Awe of God. In some of our Bibles, the words that, that would most helpfully describe awe is a word fear, to fear the Lord. But as we've talked about before, fear in the Bible, when it's talking about fearing the Lord, isn't meant to be like you should be really scared that he is just going to come and punish you. It is a healthy and uh, uh, appropriate respect for how big God is and how righteous he is and how worthy he is and how just he would be if he were to do that. And so we have this fear and this mystery wrapped in together. And so a growing sense of awe for God will change us. It will mature us. I want you to hear this. If you this week, 
And in the coming weeks, in months, in years, as we as one church ask the Lord to begin to prepare us so that we can accomplish this vision. And that he would use our church to bring those gifts to serve people and ultimately point them to Jesus and let them experience the freedom that's found in the gospel. If we will regularly, daily, repeatedly just consider who God is, what he's revealed about himself, it will have a transformational effect on your life. And friends, there are so many things vying for our attention that are not going to grow our off for God. They're going to draw us to an off for something else that will be a cheap, phony replacement. And we will never be satisfied and we will never be settled because our awe has been lost from God and put on something that could never bear the weight that we put on our God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is spirit. I love how Paul describes that this process of transformation, a spiritual maturing, a spiritual transformation where God begins to change my desires to be more like what he desires and less like what my sinful flesh desires. And it begins to change my perspective where I begin to see the world and discern sin and see and recognize God's wisdom and guidance differently than if I was just relying on my own mental capabilities. That that process of transformation starts with us just looking at God, what he's revealed about himself, and just staring at it inspecting it and then then continue to look at the gospel and what it means to me and that by doing that it says that by looking upon God's glory that he's revealed who he is his greatness it will actually have a transformational effect in my life so many times we're like okay yes I want to get over these sinful bents I have all these things that keep tripping me up so this is what I'm going to commit to do I'm going to start doing this I'm going to start doing that And I think he's like, no, no, start here. Just start by spending time with me, looking at me. Let my presence, let my power, let my glory begin to change you from the inside out. In many of our homes, we have dimmer switches on the wall. We have lights that you can now control the, how bright the lights go. Even in this room right now, if I were to ask the guys, I'm not going to, but they could dim the lights in here and then bring them back up. You walk into a room that's not well lit, you don't recognize everything that might be around, but as soon as that light comes up and the wattage goes up and that light becomes brighter, you begin to notice things that perhaps you didn't see before. See some dirty dishes, some clothes left on the floor, some dusty shelves, all hidden at one point by a cloak of darkness. You see, as we begin to gaze upon the Lord and his gospel, our sin is revealed, our neediness is exposed. And in those moments, we might want to go and hit the lights and turn them back out. 
I don't want God to start doing business with my heart. I don't want him to start doing the work that needs to happen for me to be something so that he can use me to build something that's for his glory. No, I like the, I like the light setting in my life. I, like, I can see it. it looks pretty good in here. But here's the reason why we need to let the Lord bring the lights up in our lives and we need to stay there and continue to stare into what he's revealing. Because in that moment, and not only what is exposed to us when we stare at the gospel is our need for a savior and our neediness and our sinfulness and our brokenness, but it also exposes that light, shows us that there has been a provision made for our salvation. There is a solution to our sin problem. There is hope for the mess that we've created. Jerry Bridges in his book, Discipline of Grace, puts it like this. Nothing cuts the nerve of a desire to pursue holiness as much as a sense of guilt. Nothing will stop you short of really allowing God to do that transformational work in is by he starts to bring up the lights and show you, Here, here's what I want to work on in your life. Here are the things that I know you've been struggling with. Here are the things I want to rip out of you. I want to sanctify, pull those things out. And we're like, nope, turn the lights back down. Or we got to go, oh man, I can't believe that's true. I can't believe I've messed up. Okay, I, nothing will, will stop your pursuit of holiness, allowing God to change you from the inside out as a sense of guilt. But he goes on to say this. On the contrary, nothing so motivates us to deal with the sin in our lives as does the understanding and application of the two truths that our sins are forgiven and that the dominion of sin is broken because of our union with Christ. So that same light that exposes our sin also reveals a solution to that sin that has nothing to do with us that we can receive freely if we will just allow God to do the work in our lives. And so we have to be a people. If we're going to be that thing that God needs us to be in order to accomplish his vision, we have to be a people that are going to spend time gazing upon the awe of God, looking at who he is, helping, asking him to help us understand who he is, letting him reveal himself in new and fresh ways, and trying to just allow that to take it in, not to get distracted, not to move off it quickly, but just to, to sit and dwell and meditate on who God is. But if you're thinking that what we're asking you to do for the next five years is to go find a a well-lit room by yourself and sit and just contemplate the Lord, we've got to keep reading. Because the next thing we say in your notes is this, an awe of God will inspire a life of sacrifice. Look what Paul goes on to say here in our text. He declares all of these these things about God. He begins to speak of the gloriousness of God and the greatness of God. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Paul says to his readers, Man, God... God has found a way that blows the mind, that doesn't make any sense to a human understanding, to be able to find a way to bring these two groups of people who don't like each other and both were in rebellion against God, to bring them together and make them into one family for his glory. How? He says, in light of that mercy, in light of that mercy that we've all received, none of us can say, well, yeah, I can understand why he saved the rest of the people in this room, but he didn't really need to work that hard to save me. 
No, he says, in light of the mercy that it took for God to withhold the just judgment on your life that you deserved and to put it on his son, in view of that great love and that great sacrifice, I want to call you to now live your life as a living sacrifice. This word, living, indicates to us that what we're being called to by Paul is to live our lives in an ongoing matter, not once and for all saying, okay, I will lay down my life to accept Christ one time and then I'm gonna pick up my life and keep living it for myself. No, it's a living sacrifice means a ongoing, repetitive willingness to lay down my life for Christ, to submit myself, to surrender my life, say, here's my life, Lord, use it as you see fit. I mean, how often do we go, God, I, you're growing me, and I'm understanding more, and now I've got it, God, and I'm going to go take this hill, and I'm going to go defend it in your name, but I am completely detached from you. i got a few Bible verses in my pocket, and I'm ready to go take on the world. And he's saying, wait a second. Why are you leaving me here? We are to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. This is a natural response to a person who has spent time just soaking in God's awesomeness. Just to go, how, how could I live for myself? Look what he's done for me. How could I try to think that I could do it better than him? He is God. How could I think that I could help improve what he's already planned? There's no way I can do that. And so what else could I do? What else would be a more natural response to say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Here's my life. It's yours. You bought it back. Do with it what you want. This is how we worship God today. We can go through the practices of coming to church and singing songs and even giving our, our offering and, and going and even serving and do that all apart from truly worshiping God. We're just checking the box of what we think it means to be a Christian. And he's saying, I don't want that. I want a life of worship that says, here is the most valuable thing I can give you, God. It's not my bank account. It's not my retirement account. It's not even my social media account. The most valuable thing I can give you is my life. Here it is. And you do the work of just stripping out old me and filling me up with you. This is how we worship God who has shown us great mercy. But here's how this works. As we begin to gaze upon God and we become just overwhelmed by his greatness and in awe of who he is it inspires a life of sacrifice and when we respond to that desire in obedience we begin to give our lives to God and we begin to serve him by serving others and by grabbing a hold of what he's called us to do you know what happens a life of sacrifice will expand your awe of God we talked about how we can go out in creation and we can just listen and sit and pray and God will reveal things about his grandeur in creation. And we can do the same by a personal time in the Bible. We read the scriptures and we sit and we meditate on them and God will reveal himself to us. And we can do the same thing reading the words and actions of Jesus. And yet there's another way where God will reveal himself to us and that is through service. Look what it says back at the end. Verse 36 of chapter 11. I, I underlined this in my Bible like five different times in, in three different ways. 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When we begin to ponder the riches of God, his ways, his judgments, his counsel, and just see how great it is, it inspires us to live our life as a living sacrifice. But when we begin to engage and participate in service, or we begin to participate in sacrificial work, like missions, you know what we're doing? A person who started in the right place and has been driven to that, that moment of serving and sacrifice by the Lord is going to realize that I'm not choosy, I'm not picky. What I'm going to participate in, what I'm going to go and do for the Lord is what he has provided. It's from him. God's going to make it clear where you should serve. God's going to make it clear what you should do. But here's my guarantee. There's something for you to do if you're part of the body of Christ. We're not supposed to stay in the baby chair. He's going he's gonna to reveal that to you. And as he does, once we understand that, okay, God, this is from you, then what it says here is that, and then the ability to actually fulfill that is going to be through you. What, what God is calling you to will be clear. It's from him. Everything is from him. What God calls you to do in ministry and in missions will be from him, and then it says through him. That means that everything you need to do that, that missional work, to sacrifice in that way, he will provide the means to do it. So many times, one of the roadblocks for us living a sacrificial life is going, well, if I give that, then I, I won't have enough for me. If I do that, then it'll never end. It's a slippery slope. You just, you're not reading the scripture. If he's called you to it, if it's from him, then through him, he will provide everything you need to fulfill that. And then look what it's for. The ultimate glory is to him. That's the kind of missional work we're calling you to. That's what we're calling you to be, Salem Heights, is to be a church full of believers who are so in awe of God, they live their lives as living sacrifices to him, believing that everything that God has called us to is not for our name to be something great, but it's from him and through him and to him, to him be all the glory forever. Amen. That's what we want to be about. There is something amazing that happens in us when we serve. We get to see God do something in our lives that is oftentimes, for whatever reason, we could witness at home, but it's almost like he takes us out of our comfort zone and, and, and our awareness kind of opens up and we begin to see God doing things that radically transform us. And so if we are a people who are in awe of God and that awe of God inspires a life of sacrifice and as we sacrificially give our lives to God, he begins to expand our awe of him because he goes, God is doing things in me and through me and around me that I never thought were possible. I never thought I could do. In fact, I know I'm not doing it. It's him in me. The, what will result to that if we are a church and a people who are in awe of God and living sacrificially It'll be, I mean, we are a church full of people who look like Christ. And that's what he says here in verse two as we wrap up. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Two words there that kind of sound similar, but they're very different. 
He says, don't be conformed to this world. Conform is a, a mold. It says, don't let the world shape you into what it wants you to be, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a spiritual work that God does in us when we live sacrificially, when we are in awe of him and we surrender our lives to his will. He begins to transform us. Transformation is the process. Being conformed is the product. And while we should not be conformed to what the world looks like, if we will allow God to transform us from the inside out, we will be conformed into Christ's image. We will look like him. We will think like him. We will act like him. We won't be him. There's only one Christ, amen? But we will be like him. See, spiritually maturity doesn't happen. It doesn't just happen. And the world is actively trying to shape us into its image. They want, the world wants us to align with it. It wants us to agree with it. It wants us to act like it. And how do they do that? They begin to, they put these, I call them awe robbers out there. They're just trying to, here, you need this. This is what you should be about. This is what you should be somewhat passionate about. And it's all taking our eyes off the thing that truly is worthy of awe, God. And so when we live our lives pursuing to become spiritually mature, we will grow in our awe of God and we will live a life of sacrificial service. This is important. And doing this prepares us to be on mission with the Lord and to carry out his mission for our church. Our interest, involvement, and impact in missions will be closely linked to our likeness to Christ. Our interest to even get involved in missional work, which is sacrificial, giving of our time, our talent, our treasure, our desire to do that will be from Christ. Our involvement to, to stay consistent and just dying to self and saying, God, whatever it is you need from me will be through becoming like Christ, who said there was nothing, that he gave everything for us, even his life and even death on a cross. But the impact in missions to actually have a vision for our city and to believe that that vision is not gonna just be something that builds up Salem Heights name, but that's gonna minister to our community and show people maybe far from Jesus the hope of the gospel and the light of the gospel. That impact has to come from the Spirit of God. That's what has to be flowing through us. Otherwise, it'll be for our glory and we don't want that. We want it to be for His glory alone. So church family, how will you stir your awe for God this week? Our desire is that we will be something before we build something. And the process of becoming that which God can use and be fit for his service will be a life that's marked by an increasing awe and, 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 and just love of God that comes from a, a study of his word, a contemplating of his greatness, uh, being aware of his movement, but also then become through a life that says, here, Lord, use me. If that's what it looks like to begin to start moving towards that process of becoming more spiritually mature, what is it this week that you could do in your life to stir your affection for God? What's a way that you could take in his greatness? What is something that you could put aside so that you could focus on him more this week? It's not, a, it's not a bunch of steps. It's not a bunch of plans. It's just saying, I want to be more aware of who you are. Would you pray with me?
Father God, I thank you for your love. The depth of your riches that you poured out on us. Undeserving, rebellious, and yet you loved us in so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried and to rise again, proving that he had provided a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to receive eternal life. God, we just thank you for that. But now you've called us to be on mission with you. You've called us to be about the things that you want to accomplish until you return. And God, while you give each local church a call, you give them a specific mission to go fulfill in the life of their church, in the life of their community, God, you've given us one, but we don't want to go and try to accomplish that apart from you. And so God, we are asking you to build us up as a church, a church full of the discipleship spectrum, people who are new to Christ and people who have been following you for 60 years. And yet, God, all of us have room to continue to grow, to continue to be equipped for the next stage, the next day. God, I pray that you would help us become through time with you, through a growing sense of awe of who you are and allow that awe to shape everything we do as a ministry and as a church. And that that love that we sense from you as we stare upon your face, God, will lead us to say, here's my life, Lord. Use it for your glory. I pray this for our church, and I pray it in your son's name. Amen.